0: Hello and welcome to The Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay. And a big
1: welcome to everyone and a big hello to you, Mr. D. This has been a a week and
0: a half, hasn't it? It has been a week and a half. My goodness me. We launched The Bestseller Academy this Tuesday so we're now uh time recording this is day number three and it's been absolutely phenomenal <laughs> I'm so blown away by this group of people Just we've got absolutely extraordinary and uh so we've we've got we've got a group of people for anyone who's who's new to the podcast we've got a group of people who we have created an environment where we want to we want to nurture the future best-selling authors some of the best writers in the world and we've created this this academy over the last really it started four years ago and yeah the response has been absolutely amazing what an incredible bunch of people and some amazing authors and they're fairly enthusiastic I'd say don't you reckon oh it's just it's it's brilliant it's just
1: fantastic seeing them digging straight in to the courses to the forums chatting I've, I think we've already got some friends for life I know we talked about the possibility of a you know an
0: academy baby at some point who knows where this could end <laughs> It's absolutely brilliant. But the thing the thing that's really exciting about the academy is it's everyone that's applied to join have are all have all got one major thing in common apart from obviously writing. The major thing they have in common is they they're allowing themselves to dream big. They're allowing themselves to believe that this could happen and they're coming into the academy with that mindset. So imagine when you put a a, a really great group of people together with that mindset. We talked about this on the podcast so much about how important the mindset is. It's not just about the words you write because anyone can write words. Everyone can write words, but it's it's the mindset that you put behind it. And We've seen this so many times with with successful authors. Uh, Shannon Mayer is one that always comes to mind. One of our very earliest interviews where I asked her the question, I said... Did you believe before it happened that you believed it could happen? And she said, absolutely. I was going for it. I wanted to sell a million copies of my books. And she did. In fact, she's sold multiple millions now. So I am such a strong advocate of that. And that is really the core of what we're trying to develop within the academy is this mindset. And I'm so excited to see this group of people come together. And the, the thing that's phenomenal is the way that as a team, they're all supporting each other. And that's what we don't get as writers. When we're sitting at home by ourselves, stuck in our own heads, stuck in our own thoughts, making our own inner voice, like beating us down and telling us it's never going to happen. That's not the voice that we need to become successful. We need not just a voice which is outward and talking with others about your struggles and challenges, but also a voice which encourages. And that's exactly what we're getting. And its I'm just so excited. I can't wait to see what happens. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it is it is terrific. There's there's
1: some real energy there. There's a really good energy there and I'm I'm loving it. Yeah.
0: It's gonna be great to see how how things develop. If you if you're hearing all this and you think, oh, I missed it. When was it when did all this happen and how did I not find out about this? We have set up a wait list on the website for people who are interested in getting an invite, an inv- a VIP invite prior to us opening up. The academy doors in the future so if you want to find out more you need to get along to the website right now academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and just sign up to get a future invite that's how it's going to work so academy.bestsellerexperiment.com for that and mr Stay, in amongst the craziness of us launching the academy you've also had a fairly busy week yourself as well well yes um
1: Filming started today, and uh, <laughs> I've been attending rehearsals. I, I've seen the set. I've, I've, I've had two COVID tests because I, I did, I did one in the post, a good week before I was supposed to go on the set. And there's been this massive back to school, back to college rush in COVID tests, so I had to do a, a drive-in one. So I've had that test twice. It's horrible. Oh, and I'm going to have it done as well every time I go back. To set as well, uh, so you know you no, have to. Really? Yeah, yeah, every
0: time you've got to do. You're like a Premier well, League, Premier League footballer.
1: Well, it's the thing is, just in the news today, they reported that the new Batman film has had to shut down production because Robert Pattinson has COVID. And that that is our worst nightmare. If any of our actors get it. I mean, me, I'm dispensable. You know, it's fine. My <laughs> job is done. But, but if any of the actors get it, you've got to protect them. You've got to shield them. You've got to bubble them. Uh, so, you know, that's it's, it's really, really important. We can't, you know, we can't have anything happen to them. But it's it's great. I've um I've just had this strange, blissful calm come over me the last few days. Cause like I said, my bit is kind of done now, and it's over to John, the director, and Ev, the cast and crew. And having seen the set, the crew, the producers, everyone, we've got such a good cast, such a good crew. John is at the top of his game. Uh, They're going to absolutely smash it. I've just, I'm just so happy. <laughs> it's so strange.
0: I love it. <laughs> that's brilliant. It's that's very unusual, isn't it? For it must. It's the kind of. The unique life of a, of, a, of a script writer in the sense that, you know, just when the film starts from production, your, your job is almost done. So you get to enjoy the process, I guess, so much more than everyone else who's like having yeah, to kind of yeah. really do the lines, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. I could have put my feet up. Well,
1: not exactly, because like I said, we've been rehearsing what's great and I love actors i love actors they they bring so much more they make me look good that's why i love actors right? because they <laughs> they come with such enthusiasm and engagement bursting with ideas and they are so much fun and we can't reveal who our cast is yet but when you'll see it you'll go oh these people are brilliant i know that person from that and that person from that and they're just terrific so yeah i'm a very happy writer
0: oh i'm brilliant so chuff you and i can't wait to see and And find out all of the stuff in the future as we kind of continue documenting your journey on now on set, which is just phenomenal absolutely brilliant i 'm surprised you got time for the podcast mr state this is this is amazing that you 're still managing to kind of get it all like you claimed yourself I reckon you must have claimed yourself
1: no I' just carved out an hour for this so, <laughs> so I'm call i'm on another i had a call right before this i 've got a call right after this so it's oh, uh, yeah. it is um the sort of the the yeah. A crazy period, but, um, no, oh, I love it. I'm not going to, you'll never hear me complain about I love it. the joys of being a writer, you know?
0: Yeah. And this is, and this is what everyone wants to hear as well, because I think one of the biggest challenges for people who are moving towards that dream that you you've been living and, and now, you know, reliving again with the, with this latest movie that you've written is that, you want to hear those, you want to hear those stories. You want to hear what it's like in the reality of when something becomes successful, because that's why you spend all those hours doing all those thousands of words and working hard every single day. This is the payoff. This is what you, I guess you'd call a dividend payment.
1: Well, this is, is it's really weird because I was having a sort through some old boxes the other day, and I've been looking for this letter for Ages, absolutely ages. I thought it was lost and I was so delighted that I found it. And it was, it was a polite rejection from Terry Gilliam. Okay. Really? I, <laughs> this is, this yeah, yeah, yeah. Because back in, back in 1999, I became friends with the author Robert Rankin, and there's a chapter from one of his books. I said, This would make a great short film and I think I could make it. And uh, I scripted uh, the... Robert graciously let me have it for free. I wrote a script, and then we started... And I'd made a couple of short films with our friend Jeremy by that point, so I was kind of in the swing of it. I was enjoying it, and... um, you know, we tried to get funding. I didn't have the first clue how to get funding or anything like that, but I thought, I'll have a go. I'll write letters. And I, I wrote to Film Four, and the Film Four rejection was with it. I wrote to Terry Gilliam because I thought they- Robert and Terry Gilliam are so similar. And I got a lovely note back from Terry Gilliam saying, This sounds like a wonderful idea. I just don't have time to do it. But I got a letter from Terry Gilliam. Oh. And this was the thing is, you're talking about hours and hours. This was in 1999. This was before my daughter was born, my oldest child. You know, this is um, this is a long time ago. And so, you know, it, it can be a long game. But if you've got a bit of tenacity, I think, like I've always said, if you bang your head against the wall long enough, one of you will eventually crack. <laughs> so the job is to, to make sure... It's not you, you know? So that's that's the secret, I guess. It's just tenacity. So, yeah, I love it. It. it's weird. I found it this week of all weeks as well. It's just really, really strange. So, I so. think
0: that's perfect. I think that was meant to be. I think the fact that that letter presents itself is a an incredible reminder to to everyone. I mean, they always say, you know, keep your rejection letters. I know some people like to pin them up on the wall as a, as a motivation. I think that's a fantastic thing to do because as i've always said you know each each rejection that you get is a step closer to success and the only way that you ever guarantee that you will not make it is if you give up doesn't matter if other people have given up on you or if people reject you the only way that you can guarantee that you will never make it is if, if you give up. So you're in complete control. Everyone listen to this, who's thinking it's never going to happen. Or you know what, Mark, we have heard so many times, how many times have we now heard this story on the podcast, people writing to us saying, I had given up. I heard the podcast and I heard, heard a word, something that one of the interviewers said, and I started writing again and, and then everything happened for me. So, you know, you can give up, but you can, that doesn't, you know, if you're still breathing, if you're still breathing, you can start again. So I want to encourage every single person listening to this podcast who's either on the verge of giving up, has given up, or hasn't even started yet, but think you know, thinking whether they should even bother do it and start today and keep going. Because I mean, Mark, you're 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 another you know another success story, another example. But also reminding everyone, this isn't a quick win. You can't just like you know start today and, and be successful tomorrow. This is a dedicated profession.
1: Well, which brings us to our interview with someone who is pretty much an overnight success.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, but when you think about it, when you hear this story, folks, Philip C. Quintrell, unbelievable story. This has actually got to be one of the most gripping this this interview had me on the edge of my seat Mark. I I I was waiting for the next part of his story unfolding. It's an absolutely brilliant story and I just highly recommend that you stop what you're doing um and you listen to this podcast because this this interview because it's 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 amazing. It's like one of the most interesting stories I think I've heard in the in the four years we've done this.
1: Well, this is this is it, and uh, one of the reasons this is such a great story is that Philip breaks all the rules, all the principles, all the little things that we've discussed over the years. He's just, you know, just ignored them all and done it his own way. Well, let me let me let me let me dial back a bit because this started with a conversation I was having with our friend Ian W. Sainsbury, you know, supporter of this podcast, friend of the podcast, uh, award-winning, best-selling author, Kindle storyteller, award-winning author. And we were having a chat. And he's, um, you know, in fact, Ian's Amazon are running adverts at the moment saying, you know, Kindle is great, there's no gatekeepers, blah, blah, blah. And actually, Ian's in one of the... Because they do these every year. Uh, and Ian's in one of these adverts being, you know, their, one of their award winners. And I've always said, actually... Kindle, there kind of is a gatekeeper thing because, you know, you need funds to advertise, you need to have a bit of money, and it's a bit like a casino, the you know, the house always wins and I was moaning, and you know what I'm like when I go off and won like, <laughs> and Ian said, Well, actually, you're wrong. Because there's this guy called Philip C. Quaintrell, who was on one of, um, uh, I heard Ian speaking to him uh, recently, and he's just just fantastic. Ian, uh, uh, Philip C. Quaintrell is self-proclaimed king of the geeks. Uh, he grew up in Manchester in the UK, studied nursing, uh, and after giving six years to the NHS, he finally decided to relieve some of the pressure in his imagination and make it work for him. Now, I'm not going to reveal what his sales are. But Amazon reckon Philip's sales figures are in the top 1.8% of self-published authors worldwide. He's also one of the nicest guys you could meet. He tells us how he got started. He answers some listener questions. He tells us about his incredible way of getting feedback. Uh, you've, You've never heard anything like it. This is a proper rule breaker here.
0: Brilliant stuff. So let's dive in and listen to Mark interviewing Philip C. Quaintrell.
1: Philip, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today?
0: I'm great. Thank you very much. How are you?
1: I'm tickety-boo. Thank you for asking. Uh, now, we, we got in touch through our, our mutual friend, uh, Ian W. Sainsbury, who will not shut up about you. No. He is, he is, he is your greatest champion out there. I think he he keeps telling me about this guy who keeps writing these epic fantasy novels which get amazing reviews and have the most amazing sales. And you've got to get him on the show. And then I started looking at some of the stats, and my jaw dropped. Um, you've had a pretty epic ride, haven't you, uh, Philip? Yes. T- tell us how it all started.
2: I started back in two thousand thirteen, and I was. Uh, just consuming fantasy and science fiction books. And I think I just got to a point where I kind of felt like I knew what was coming from a lot of the books. And I felt like, you know, you, uh, you may know yourself being an author. Maybe you get to a point where you think, actually, this is how I would tell that story. And so I think what I ended up doing is I was on holiday, with my family, and I stayed up one night with a notepad and I filled this notepad with an idea that I had. And when I got home I thought, you know what, I'll just start writing it because why not? And I it took me about a year to write because I was working as a nurse at the time. So I was just kind of slowly but surely scrapping all my hobbies and replacing it with writing. And <laughs> then I um and then I I got to the end and sort of, you know, clapped myself in the back and was like, Hey, you've managed to write a whole book. <laughs> 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 did
1: you have any idea what to do with that first book were you were you thinking i'm going to send it to a traditional publisher or were you well aware of of self-publishing and, and everything that involved
2: uh i really had no idea about self-publishing in, in my head it was a really simple process it was i've written the best book that's ever been written and i'll just contact a traditional publisher and they'll take it off my hands that'd be lovely uh, I really How did quickly, that work out for you? <laughs> not great. <laughs> uh, I think I can't even count the rejections I got, but I mean, I didn't even know to begin with that you need an agent ideally to get hold of a publisher. So I tried going through the agency route and that just didn't work out for me. And I, I met someone at work who had self-published a book and he quite unhelpfully told me to never self-publish. <laughs> 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 yeah, he said, it's the worst thing you can do. They take all your rights off you, you get no money. And I really, I, I had no idea about it. So I took on what he said as, as truth and continued to, to try and find an agent. And so I finished the book at the back end of 2013, early 2014. And I then didn't self-publish until February 2016. So I kind of lost, I feel like I lost quite a bit of time there. When I could have got the book out, and I held on to it desperately, trying to get hold of an agent, thinking that this was the only way to get your book out there.
1: Wait, did you continue writing the next book in the series while you were waiting, while you were submitting?
2: I did, yes, because I enjoyed the pro. Yeah, you know, once you start, you kind of get the bug, and you just want to write. And yeah, I, for a while there as well, you tell yourself that it's okay that no one's ever going to read this book because I enjoy writing it and that's what matters. (laughs) But once you finish the book, that is not what matters at all. (laughs) It it feels wrong to have written a whole book and no one can get their hands on it and no one else can read it. Um, So I I wrote this, I started writing the second book, Tempest, and I probably got 40% into that book and I hit a wall writing-wise. And... I just couldn't seem to find the next sentence. It was, it was that simple. And probably the only piece of writing advice that I've taken from online, because I'm terrible at reading about it, was if you get stuck, just write something else. It doesn't have to do – it's not saying write another book. It's just write a paragraph, write a small story, write anything about something completely different. Keep the wheels greased. So yeah. I had yeah. – I did. I, I wrote what has turned out to be the prologue of Rise of the Rager, which is like my flagship book, really. That's book one in the Echo Saga, and that's kind of where things started to change for me. And I, I got my feet firmly planted in the fantasy genre. And um, so I started off writing the prologue, and I said to my wife, I'm just going to write this little prologue, and I'll finish writing Tempest, and I'll finish writing Heretic and Legacy. And was, I knew that was a four book series. I'll finish writing that. I must have been about 60% into Rise of the Ranger before I said, oh, no, I, I didn't mean to go back and write Tempest, did I? And uh, I just got carried away. But it was around about that time I discovered self-publishing and I got intrinsic out there, and that was when everything started.
1: Okay, so let's let's talk about your your first steps. You said you found out. Where did you hear about it, and what were the first steps you took to self-publishing?
2: Um, well, like I say, that guy who gave me that really bad advice he had planted in my head that self-publishing was a thing. And so I always knew it existed. And I think without realizing it, I had started buying self-published books as well, um, which is one of the really cool things about buying books on Amazon is that they're side by side with traditionally published. You can have no idea at times that, you know, one is one and one is the other. And I think I just, one thing I definitely got tired of the rejections from agencies and so i started to actually look into amazon and kdp and how you can get your books out there and it's all there in black and white actually you know not what this guy said you can choose your royalty rate and mm. choose your marketing strategy and you can choose your cover and every, the whole thing is under your control and amazon is just this massive platform so i think my my first step was just actually joining kdp logging in and having a look at the format, you know how simple was it. I'm not particularly tech savvy, right. <laughs> so I I sort of was a bit cautious about what I was doing. But then it is very simple. It's you know it's a step by step process, and I think I personally still I find it really hard to write the blurb for any book. You know I, my books are particularly big; they're like close to two hundred thousand words, and condensing that into a couple of catchy paragraphs is tricky. <laughs>
1: I mean, I'm going to stop you there. 200,000. I mean, when you say epic fantasy, that's longer than Brandon Sanderson. I mean, this is epic, epic fantasy, isn't
2: it? Yeah, I go, yeah, like, you know, go big or go home situation there. <laughs> and I, I, yeah, I don't mean to. Like, I don't set out to write a big book. I just, I, I think page-wise, I think they come to maybe something, the average is maybe 700 pages. Wow. Which, yeah, I think the epic fantasy, you know, yeah, is maybe relatively standard nowadays. It's, I think George Martin has shown people that big books can still work. Mm, um, yeah. Uh, pacing is key. I'm really like particular about pacing and keeping everything fresh and making sure the reader wants to turn the page.
1: Cool. Well, let's some um, We've got a few listener questions, which, and which might touch upon some of those subjects. And just for the listeners now, just I just want to run through some of the stats. So, you've talked about that your first books were the they, that was the Terran cycle, that was a science fiction uh, cycle, and then the Echo Saga, which is the epic fantasy series. And you've you've done uh, was it uh, eleven books now, seven of which are in the Echo Saga, and and you've just surpassed. Uh, the, uh, this is astonishing. uh I mean, you started in 2017. We're now in 2020. You've just sold just over 300,000 copies, which is just drop- dropping. It's just incredible. So, huge congrats on that. And these are big, chunky books. You know, you took a year to write your first one, but you you must really power through them now.
2: Uh, yes. So, I mean, I transitioned from nurse to full time author in March 18, and yeah, like the the conveyor belt was really going then. I went from one book a year to two or three books a year. Um, I can typically get one from start to on the shelf four and a half months. Right.
1: Fantastic. Well, let's, um, let's dig a little deeper. I've got some listener questions. So our first one's from Jeff White. Jeff asked, uh, does Philip advocate that the best form of advertising is to write more books? Because one one of the things that's come up is, is you, you don't really do much. Well, you don't do any marketing, do you?
2: No, I don't think I've spent a penny on marketing ever.
1: (laughs) Listen, listen, listen very carefully, Philip. You can hear people grinding their teeth as they listen to this. (laughs) So, is is that simple? How how has that how 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 has that worked? How has that worked for you? Tell me, Philip. Tell me now.
2: (laughs) Oh, I wish I knew. I mean, i i i had I, I really don't know. I can only say that you know the I originally went out with three. Covers from a you know a graphic designer that I could afford at the time, and as things picked up, I managed to get hold of Chris McGrath, who is this amazing illustrator, and he gives me these fantastic covers, which I think are just so catchy, and uh, you know people are drawn to them. And I do think having a, a great cover is that first spark that gets the reader to have a second look. They
1: are. Astonishing, And uh, folks, we'll put a link in the show notes for this. You can check these out. The, the cover art for these is, is just amazing, really. You, and it does, as you said earlier, when you're on uh, Kindle, you put these very happily next to Joe Brandon, to George R.R. Martin. They, they all look just astonishing. You look at that and go, yeah, I'm going to give that a go, definitely. So you think that's that's the appeal, investing in the cover art. Did you see that make a, a substantial difference in your sort of rate of sales when you switched to the cover up uh
2: yes i mean so 300, 300 000 is just for the echo saga so that is just since 2017 and most of them are probably in the last 12 months and the the new covers have been out since november and i'd say that they've probably doubled the sales if not more so just since the new covers came out
1: so a good investment uh, a good yeah. investment <laughs>
2: yeah yeah okay. i mean again, i don't know I, I i've never really gone for marketing but i know that you know if there's that whole maybe the amazon algorithm thing isn't there where you know if you can it pushes it for you that's another great thing about self-publishing
1: how many books had you published when you switched to the new artist how many books did you have out there
2: so i had the four from the Terran cycle and i had six from the echo saga
1: Okay, I get. I, th- I think maybe it could be those two two things working together. So if someone discovers Book One with this amazing cover art, they're going to buy another five books, aren't they? If they, if yeah, they enjoy it, yeah, it's yeah, kind of, yeah, You
2: get the the original three covers were not terrible. You know, I pulled in, still pulling in quite a good amount of readers. But I, you can look at. I literally have graphs that can show you the day in which the new covers went live. You can just point at it on the graph and say that. <laughs>
1: fantastic
2: (laughs) what's the name of the artist again uh chris McGrath.
1: I that should be dropping him a line um (laughs) (laughs) he's getting busy boy uh next question is from uh gavin ralph uh gavin says my question relates to a comment on philip's goodreads profile where he says after five years of writing for a hobby he transitioned from nurse to author, I'm interested to hear at what point he decided he would make the move and what gave him the confidence to do so. So you've you've gone there from being on holiday, filling up a notebook, going out with self-publishing, quite kind of tentative. Quitting the day job is one of those things that you know it's it's a big goal for a lot of authors out there. What was the tipping point for you?
2: Um, I was releasing one book a year, and I'd got probably two, yeah, so I had two books out from the Echo Saga, Rise of the Ranger, Empire of Dirt were out and doing well and they had surpassed my salary as a nurse. But, you know, you're looking at a nurse who has a stable salary, you know, you've got the income and then you're looking at being an author, self-published, self-employed, there's that massive risk and I have a family. So, it was probably late summer, 2017, so only a few months after Rise of the Ranger came out, and I was starting to really consider what I could do if I was able to get more than one book out a year. Because um, if I could make a success of one book a year, what could I do with two or three a year? And it was still a risk because I didn't know if I could produce that many still. I didn't know if you know book two, three, four, and so on would be successful. You never know if you're going to drop the ball, especially in a series. And... I probably held on for seven or eight months, continued working past the point of when I thought I could stop now and transition and everything would be fine. I could still pay the bills and, you know, we could live our life. And then it got to the January 18. And, yeah, I mean, the best best thing about self-publishing, you know, is there's no ceiling to what you can kind of earn with it if you can get the readership. And I was waking up every morning and sort of being like... It was, it was hard to find that motivation to go to work for 10 hours, knowing that, you know, I could be at home writing the book. They you know I would wake up wanting to write that chapter that I had in mind for the day. And I'd have to go to work for a whole day. And by the time I came home, I was too tired to write. And eventually, you know, I just thought, if I don't put all of myself into this, I'm never going to know if I can really make it as a success or if this is just going to be. A sort of really great hobby to have on the side so coming to january i did that thing i think that everyone kind of dreams about a bit where you you hand in your notice and i carried it around with me for about a week in my pocket (laughs) and my wife and i we sat on our stairs for a week every night till about 1 a.m talking about the pros and cons of giving up a stable job and being self-published And we just kept landing on the fact that the books were working. People were reading them and enjoying them. And it was my dream. And if I didn't try it now, you know, would I regret that forever? I don't know. I think I would. So I just, I took that plunge and I handed in my notice. And I then just started writing loads. (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Don't give yourself a day off, you know. (laughs) Yeah, 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 it
2: was. Yeah, it was like that. I I still remember now. I I quit on the eighth of March, and then the money started to drop. <laughs> oh, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. It. I remember looking at the money and being like, oh, "Okay, so it's made less this month than last month." And then the same happened the month after that, and the month after that, and the month after that. And then Relic of the God came out, and everything changed again. And then I've got a rhythm of write and release every four to five months. Once you find that nice rhythm and you're getting two to three books out a year, you're able to stay quite relevant, which I think is something self-publishers really have to keep in mind because you don't have that backing power of the big publishers to plaster you everywhere. You have to be in your reader's face a bit more.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. How do you engage with your readers? Do you have a regular newsletter? How do you keep in touch? I, I mean, I noticed on your Amazon page, on your Goodreads page, you put your email address and just said, drop me a line. I reply to all the emails. Is, is yeah. that your main way of engaging with them?
2: Yeah. So I do Facebook and Instagram. I have a Facebook author page and my, my Instagram is just from my author stuff. And I've got a website that's going to be going live this summer, which is going to be really exciting. We're going to do some really cool stuff with that. Um, but yeah email I love chatting to you know the fans of the books these books are like I live and I breathe these books and they're the books I want to read so if people are reading these books and loving them immediately I have something in common with all of them we all love the same books and we all love talking about these characters in this world and I could talk about it all day every day (laughs) Um, so I typically before I start writing in the morning I sort of dedicate half an hour an hour to just replying to emails and um, just I, I reply to everyone like I, I will talk to everyone that emails me
1: and you do that before you start writing
2: yeah it's a great way to get pumped for the day like okay you, you start your day <laughs> you know reading all these wonderful emails from people saying how much they love the books and it's like great you know and, and you apply to all of them and then you finish that you're like right you, you know you would be asked, you know, right well let's let's get the next one
1: <laughs> brilliant Brilliant. Puts fuel in the tank. It
2: does. Uh, I've
1: got, I've got a couple more questions uh, from Josh Atkinson, uh, who says, with authors like Philip, I'm always interested in the difference between the process of plotting books to that of a series. So with the Echo Saga, what are we? We're, we're seven books into the saga. Have you got a massive arc you know an idea of, of what's going to happen in each of these books or are you are you sort of uh, you know just creating new situations with each each book are, are, are you uh how, how is that working for you
2: uh, i've i've never really planned too far ahead i don't have like you know all those big maps on the wall that says where everyone's going and what's happening i have sort of scenes and beats in my head and i kind of think oh that's a cool idea i'd love to write that and I can kind of vaguely, very vaguely picture how I would get there. But I always handed the story over to the characters and let them decide. I think one of the best examples of that is book two actually in Empire of Dirt, where the like three or four of the main characters are together in a tavern and you know, they've just got through everything that's happened in the first book, and it's all a bit like, oh my goodness. And I remember writing it and stopping and thinking, oh, what, what do they do next? I, <laughs> I have no idea what they do next. Where do they go? Like nothing worked out for them in the first book. So do they go here or do they go? I have no idea what to do with them. And then I thought, oh, well, maybe that's what they talk about. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe they don't know what they're doing next. Maybe they're lost like I am. And so I ended up just putting that dialogue between them, but they weren't sure what to do next. and they were, There was a bit of despair there. And out of that conversation came the plot for the entire book. Wow! And then from that, was the third one. And it just kind of, it's like a wave that just keeps rolling over. And the characters just keep providing me with new storylines and new twists and plots. A lot of the, I won't say, but all the big, a lot of the big revelations and twists in the book I discovered them as I arrived at them. Like a character, Brilliant. a character would say what the revelation is, and I'd go, "What? <laughs> <laughs> I need to know more. Tell me more." And I'd just, you know, just like keep writing. It's a very, it's a very strange process.
1: It's. I think it's. 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 Um, it's funny. I. I blogged the other day about because I was always a very big outliner. And an outline, and it, it comes from screenwriting where you have to provide an outline before you write a script. You know, oh, to producers yeah. and what have you. Uh, and I've I've recently switched away from that, and I'm doing as you're doing. I'm sort of I'm writing, you know, I'm putting, getting characters in the room, thinking, well, what's the most interesting thing that could happen next and it doesn't always come immediately and i'll make a note and i'll go away and i'll do the dishes or whatever and i'll be it'll come halfway through scrubbing a pan yes yes dry my hands dry my hands i gotta write that down you know and email myself or whatever and that's uh that's i'm really really enjoying that process because it has a an energy to it that outlining and then writing as per the outline didn't quite have to it. It's yeah, like you absolutely. say you're you're as excited as the reader, aren't you?
2: Oh yes, uh, and it's a contrast to the way I wrote the Terran cycle. Uh, that was a series that I planned out chapter by chapter in a couple of notepads. You can literally look through that notepad and pick a chapter out of one of the books, and it says in this paragraph what's going to happen. Right. Um, yeah. But I I discovered that as I arrived at that chapter writing it, I would look at the notes. And it just wasn't as exciting to write at all because I kind of there was nothing new for me to discover because I I already outlined everything. Whereas this is I don't exactly know what's going to happen next, which is but don't get me wrong I know how the series ends I've got the epilogue right. in my head.
1: <laughs> Great, <laughs> excellent, You've got finish line. Uh, Josh goes on he says uh, what does Philip's editing process look like now I know Josh writes short stories and writes uh, novels as well you're clearly writing you know if we're talking 200,000 words proper epic novels how do you even begin to edit something like that what is your process with that
2: so i don't like using copy editors i'm a bit strange i think and and i know that there are some authors who would either feel that they need them or even want them to come in and do structural edits and you know sort of go through everything and tell you what works and what doesn't work but i hate that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I'm really annoying i think it's probably perfect that i'm self-published not traditionally published because i'd hate for someone to come in and say that character doesn't work that plot point doesn't work So i'm like it all works <laughs> I, everything I, everything that i write is in this book on purpose and it serves a purpose so i use proofreaders and they kind of they're always behind me by a few chapters so because these are big books and I try and get them, you know, to to the people as fast as possible. I don't want to write a two hundred thousand word book and then there's two months of, you know, proofreading and editing on my side. So what I often do is I'll get five six chapters in and I'll send it to a proofreader, and then they'll send it to me back. I'll make those uh, edits from what they've sent me back, and then I'll send it to a second proofreader. And they're constantly behind me in this kind of wave that's just catching up with me, and then by the time i get to the very end i send the whole thing to the proofreader and they read the whole thing from scratch three or four times at the same time i then go back to the very beginning and i read everything out loud and slowly (laughs) if i can
1: right right that's an amazing process because you like you say you've got this wave coming up behind you that must really put a fire up your backside must not it yeah (laughs) you can't can't slow down
2: yeah and it's great because you then by the time i get to say i'm writing the epilogue i know that actually there's only 10 percent of the book maybe that needs to be proofread and then i can start from the beginning myself and then i know that they're going to do a final read through of the whole thing and yeah it works really well and it, it helps me to then get the book out in good time
1: how many proofreaders do you use for one book? Just two. Just two, okay.
2: I don't use any beta readers either.
1: No, you don't? Okay, that's, that's fascinating. And, and the proofreaders you found where?
2: Um, well, so close to home. Uh, one, one of them is a family member who has her own proofreading company. Nice. <laughs> and the other one is my old English teacher from school who's retired. Brilliant.
1: Oh fantastic. Yeah, and
2: he's he's great because obviously, you know, he's got a whole career behind him of proofreading. Yeah, because right? you know, that's what teachers, English teachers do is they go through all your your essays and your work so much. And he's brilliant. He's read he probably knows the books more than I do now.
1: <laughs> Superb. That is a great pro that is, you know, an over two hundred and 70 odd episodes. I think that's the first time we've come across a process like that. That is, that is really, it must be kind of terrifying though. Just, you know, you can't slow down. You can't, you gotta, you gotta keep going, which I guess, you know, accounts for the, uh, how prolific you've been, which is just amazing. And you were talking earlier about pacing as well. You're very conscious of pacing. Is that, again, that thing of constantly trying to, to, to surprise yourself?
2: Yeah. Yes. I, I always want to make sure that. You know, when the pace slows down, again, it serves a purpose. It gives the reader a chance to breathe, but also those slower beats will also provide something interesting, whether it's character growth or a tidbit about something. And then the pace picks up again. And, you know, I want, I want the reader to be carried along. And I, from a lot of responses I get, I know that people seem to read these books very quickly, hmm. which is great considering how big they are. Yeah. So I think the pacing seems to be working.
1: No, absolutely. There's definitely a market. I've been looking at some of your reviews, and people love the pace. They love the characters, and then they'll say something like, "Oh, I read a fantasy novel a week." So you oh, yeah. you know, there is a voracious market out there for this, which is just astonishing. Now, I note when we were speaking earlier on, you're talking about getting rejections. You, you, uh, you know, you were looking for agents. I see that you have an agent now and i I believe you have a business manager as well what sort of team have you built up around you
2: um so well i've got on i'm very lucky i've got an option agreement for um the tv series which is brilliant
1: fantastic
2: um but out of that to negotiate that i needed an agent because i saw the document and almost cried at how terrifying it was yeah (laughs) scary yeah (laughs) so um yeah it's I got a literary agent to actually help me with that. And, um, yeah, she's great. It's Hardman and Swainton, so they're brilliant. They helped me sort of secure that contract. And then they, who else have we got? Yes, and then I've got my business manager, Amy. She's brilliant. She kind of really organizes me, and keeps everything. You know, she tells me, like, what's coming up, and she helps me research and get advanced stuff. And She's really, really good. I'm not sure I could do it without her. And then graphic design-wise, I use Bodie Dog Design. They are brilliant 110%. You know, the work comes to me quick. They they do all the graphics on my covers. They built the map, which is a huge thing. I know the fans love the map. <laughs> and we've got more some really cool stuff coming with the map, actually. I won't say, but it's some really cool stuff coming. Excellent. And then obviously my illustrator, Chris McGrath, I can't claim to say that he's on like, you know, on my team, but we have a really close working relationship. And I know that we're definitely going to be working together for a long time because I just adore his covers.
1: They are amazing. They are amazing. Well, um, Philip, this is an astonishing story. Uh, It's just incredible. We love... We love people who break the rules. And I think you've broken every single one of them, <laughs> <laughs> which just goes to show there's no one way of doing this. There's no, you know, there's no single path. You have to find your own path. I'm amazed how you've, you've discovered your own path and all this thing. What's what's next for you? What can you tell us? Is uh, is it is it more of uh, the Echoes saga or is there anything different on the horizon? What's next for you? Uh,
2: I'm hoping to get the Echoes saga finished at the end of this year, if not January. And then after that, I've definitely made some promises to the readers that I will be giving them an Asher series. So Asher is like the main character, I suppose, from the Echo saga. And He's got one of those sort of long, mysterious backgrounds. And there's about 14 years that I've kind of like established in the book that I'm going to flesh out that people want to know about with his years as a ranger. So I've got about four books planned in that series.
1: Fantastic! Wow.
2: That point, that's maybe a year's worth of work. I don't know. <laughs> um, we'll see where that goes from there. But then I do want to dip back into science fiction. I've do have, uh, I've been talking to Ian Sainsbury actually about it, and um, I've got a really good idea there for what could be a pretty epic science fiction saga as well. But I want to flesh out a bit more of um, Verda before I move on, I
1: think. Well, it sounds like you're going to be busy for some time. uh, And we wish you all the success in the future. And this has just been fantastic. Uh, Hope to speak to you again soon.
0: Yes, thank you very much for having me on. Our pleasure. Where on earth do you start to unpack that interview? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, he's so much, you know. Yeah, and it's just uh, his books bring in a daily income to him, of over a thousand pounds a day. Can you imagine earning a thousand pounds a day? That's what he earns. Uh, it's just staggering, absolutely staggering.
0: Well, it's staggering beyond belief because he's not doing what we've heard a lot of Indian no, do, exactly. which is bashing out, bashing out of a, a you know, like a 60,000 word book, you know in a couple of months or even in some cases a month he's writing like as you said epic epic fantasy yeah. he's he's, he's yeah. writing 200 000 word books and it, it just seems to defy the odds for me it just it reminds me again that ultimately i mean for me the big thing that came out of this mark for me is that really you know despite everything else that we hear story is king i mean philip obviously writes a brilliant brilliant novel and that's what's selling his books and that's what's selling more of his books and his future books because he is a phenomenal storyteller and so when it comes back to it you know the craft is still so central to all of this and and Philip has it in spades mm-hmm.
1: Mm, absolutely Uh, you know that thing that he was talking about write and release every four to five months get in your reader's face you know that thing of he knows his readership he knows what they want because he is one of the one of those readers he's a passionate you know fantasy reader himself so he understands them and delivers and uh boy does he you know and he he gets rewarded for it too
0: absolutely let's talk a bit about his story because the thing that fascinated me about philip's story is i think a lot of people hearing that interview will have associated with a lot of the emotions that he went through from from you know being in full time work i mean being a nurse is in itself an incredibly dedicated profession and i wonder if you know the things he learned through the dedication that he has and the deadlines that he has as a nurse i mean you can't mess around with deadlines when you're caring for people i wonder how much those have actually Prepared him for the, a life as a writer. Mm,
1: now, that's, uh, it's it's interesting because there's there's a, there's a sort of diligence there. There is a duty and a diligence and a work ethic, clearly at work there, which is um, you know he's he's he's, he's carried over. But it's um, and the thing is, he's such a nice guy as well. There's no boastfulness. There's no. He's very matter of fact. He, I mean, the th- the vibe I got when I was speaking to him is he's kind of completely surprised by all of this because you yeah. know he did, like I said, he did try. He has an agent. Yeah, he tried the traditional route. Sort of, I do what? What do I do? Do I send it to a publisher and then they print it? How does it work? You know, says so that there's a sort of really happy kind of naivety going into it and now he because he's just decided to do it all his own way uh it's really paid off now he is an outlier i don't think we can all do this i don't think we can all write 200,000 word fantasies you know Absolutely. every every but every
0: 4 or 5 months but you know it, there's a lesson here yeah but i would say that there's a there's a lot to learn from the way he's doing it and i think that's the key to success is when you study when you want to when you want to emulate what someone has done in in any career of any success it often comes down to studying the things that they did and emulating those in your own way it's not necessarily knowing that if you you know there's like we know there's no formula to writing a bestseller we just we've discovered that a long time ago yeah, yeah. but we know that there are key principles which which we talk about in the academy, don't we? In a lot of detail, the key principles that we've discovered through having interviewed all these best-selling authors, and for me, there's so many key principles for Philip. And we, but we need to kind of do almost a, a deeper dive on this. Um, in fact, let's do that. Let's do a deeper dive on this. But before we do that, before we do that and go into those principles, the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, the decision that Philip had to make. From I loved the, I loved how he explained. That I you know that week where he sat on the stairs, I could just picture them sitting on the stairs in their house, having you know a cup of coffee in hand, chatting up all night into the early hours about whether he should make this leap and i know this is such a big thing for most people and and the way the thing that i really admire about what philip did is firstly he had the courage to do it because i know there's a lot of people in the world who may have been in this position and convinced themselves that it wasn't going to last or that it would it wouldn't work if they made that jump we've both made that jump i made that jump actually back in the In the late 90s, when I had a massively successful job where I was being paid a a really great salary, and I left it to start up a a little tin pot web company that was earning about 500 quid a month at the time. And (laughs) we went from almost six figures to 500 quid. And, you know, I I remember not sitting on the stairs, but I remember, you know, having a discussion with my wife and saying to her, "Um, you know, if we do this, it's a massive risk. And she even said, I'll go out and work full time. For two years to see if I can, you know, get you through the the, the, the difficult stage, and so I, I really related to his journey. But what struck you about that conversation? Because you've been through that, you've 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 kind of, you know, you jump, not jump, but you kind of had to make that move from full time employment to now, you know, full time writer.
1: Well, I was, I wasn't so much, I didn't so much jump. I was gently guided to the edge and given a little nudge. Um,
0: <laughs> yes but you could have gone back into you know, the you could have uh, chosen to gone back
1: into the publishing world. absolutely and and i am um, you know i was i was in a situation where i thought this is this is my one opportunity to do this and if i don't do it i will regret it for the rest of my life and there was a terrible risk terrible risk and i'll be honest at the beginning of this year I was beginning to think I'd made a terrible mistake and I did actually start applying for jobs again. But I got over that little bump, that little moment of self-doubt and I'm so glad I did because if I'd gone back into work, I wouldn't have had the time to
0: write the film that's just started shooting. You know, so you've got to... And and that's the bit that people forget about. It's about the fact that when and I'm not advocating here for people to just like start writing their resignation letters today. No, no, and, no, and, and no, no. no. especially right now, <laughs> especially right now, you know, if you've got if you've got a stable job, absolutely essential, you know, hold on to that. But the thing that Philip did really well is and it's something that we can do as authors is that he was able to still write and he was able to start getting things going with a lot of careers if you're making a change and you're going say self-employed, you have to quit your you have to quit your day job in order to go and even have a chance at doing your self-employed job. But with writing, you can do what so many people do, which is working around the edges, getting up a little bit earlier, writing when you get home, writing on as you know, on the train when you commute. And so it's actually a really brilliant career in that regard in that despite the fact that it's it's a big decision to make you don't have to do the bungee jump and say it's all or nothing, black or white. And you do in so many professions. So I really admire the fact that that Philip kind of worked hard. I mean, imagine being a nurse and writing a novel. I mean, how tired must he have been coming up? Like, I can't even begin. <laughs> I can't. Exactly. That's just, you know, it's right. just phenomenal. Just they must be so exhausted at
1: the end of their shift that,
0: yeah. But I suspect for Philip, I suspect what was going on was that was his sense of well-being and relief time it was like if you spend a day in a hospital dealing with all kinds of traumas and and people who are not doing well maybe his book was an escape maybe he came home and he loved the idea of writing because it just meant he could go off in his own fantasy world and and that's what got him balanced so it's and we go back to this it's not just about being a best selling author it's about the 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 well-being that you get the mental health benefits you get from writing which are so huge and really not that documented currently anyway but um oh it's just such a brilliant interview so let's do this if if you're interested in diving deeper with me and mark we're going to talk more in a special deep dive episode which will be um, released around the same time as this podcast um and we're going to cover more about his way that he does his proofreading which i think is phenomenal we're going to kind of delve into why that works a bit more um what he's doing with email and why that's working and how he's doing this with no budget and not marketing, not going, not spending, you know, hundreds of dollars on a Facebook ads campaign or courses of how to kind of sell your book on Amazon. He's doing this with no budget. Why, how is that happening? We're going to discuss that. And also one thing I know we both really want to talk about, Mark, is this idea of the cover and what you call rebranding as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. Lots to talk about. Lots and lots and lots, lots to talk about. about. So absolutely, get over to the website if you want to find out more about how to get access to that deep dive with me and Mark. So, Mr. Stay, um, the next next couple of weeks are going to be jam-packed. There's so much going on. We've got the Academy. Uh, we've got coaching to do in the Academy, haven't we, for the first time. That's going to be fun. Yes, yeah, I'm looking
1: forward. We've got some great, really, really good questions coming in, actually. Really, really interesting stuff. It's got, got my... Uh, got my synapses firing.
0: Absolutely. And my on my end, what I'm what I'm going to be doing, Mark's going to be teaching craft coaching and and as in the academy you get to ask any questions you want and we do live Sessions on coaching. But what I'm going to do, which I'm really excited to be starting, is life coaching for writers or the writer's life, as I like to call it. And what that is, is it's all about the inner game of writing. And actually, you know, a lot of it, which we'd heard about in Philip's journey, you know, that those decisions that he had to make, um, having the confidence, the belief, all the things we need as writers to succeed. I'm going to be focusing on that. And I'm going to have this incredible group of people and um it's kind of a new thing i mean i know there have been writing coaches but t- traditionally traditionally writing coaches are are more about the kind of craft side would you say mark is that your experience
1: yeah yeah absolutely no one really goes into the the sort of the mental aspect of it that that in like you say that in a game it's some um, it's completely
0: unique it's a bit like it's a bit like you get your if you're an olympic runner you get your coach who's going to teach you how to to run properly stylist you know your style the diet you should be eating the the lifestyle you should be living in order to 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 be a peak performance athlete that's what i see as the kind of the role of the craft coach and then what i'm doing is it's like the sports psychologist it's the person that kind of gets into understanding your mental blocks your beliefs and things and that's something which i've been doing actually for um, well for like the last 15 years um but i'm gonna i'm so excited to be focusing on writers specifically because i really understand that it's a unique kind of profession and it's very different from say music or or athletics or track and um already i'm getting a sense for just how powerful this could be so uh yeah i'll be uh, i'll be feeding back to everyone listening about how that goes as well So, Mr. Stay, thank you so much. You better dash because you've got a film set to get back to, haven't you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure the show can go on without me. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us, everyone. If you would like to support this podcast on Patreon and help the continued running of it, you simply go to um, bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and you can get loads of goodies, extra bonuses for helping support the show and mark if people want to get in contact with us on social media yes we are on the facebook
1: bestseller experiment uh twitter at bestseller xp and instagram at bestseller xp and please subscribe rate and review on your podcatcher that you're listening to now all of those little stars that you give us they make us a lot more visible and help us to keep carrying on and a big thank you as
0: always to our editors dave and jd And if if you're new to this podcast or you're working your way through season one, you know that we spent the first year of this podcast writing a book to make it a bestseller. And if you haven't heard of that book or you haven't read that book, it's called Back to Reality pop along to amazon check out all the five star reviews it's got over 120 i think now mark isn't it so pop over and have a read of that book it's a lot of fun and uh, it gives you a bit more context into the journey we went through it's almost like a study guide isn't it for the first year of the podcast it's the feel good novel <laughs> of the year uh,
1: and there's a great audio book as well if you're on audible check out the audio it's just wonderful
0: brilliant stuff well listen have an amazing time mark with your continued adventures on set and in the academy um And uh, thank you to all of our patrons that have supported this show and supporting it. Thank you to all of our Academy members. And thank you to you for listening to the show. And we look forward to chatting with you again next week in a rerun and in two weeks for our new episode. So it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Goodbye.
1: To read Back to Reality, the best-selling novel of The Bestseller Experiment by The Two Marks, go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash back to reality.
0: And subscribe to this podcast to get loads of extra bonuses. Go to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash subscribe.